Merry Christmas! You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. We're in a series called Adventually. Well, as you probably know, it was way back in 1843 that Charles Dickens penned that original A Christmas Carol. Dickens said this about his story. He said, I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it, though, haunt their houses pleasantly, and may no one wish to lay it down. So, having been just treated to a foretaste of the Scrooge's character by our kids' own actors, let's take a little bit of a journey now as we reflect on Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. Like in our kids' own production, Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without Christmas baking, right? Maybe for you, it's the Christmas cookies, round or whatever tree or, or star-shaped you might want to make it. Maybe it's gingerbread men. Maybe it is gingerbread houses. By the way, there will be gingerbread cookies for you as you leave this morning uh, out the service from our kids' own workers. Uh, but whatever it is, Christmas baking is just a very favorite part of Christmas. And Christmas just wouldn't seem like Christmas without it, would it? Maybe, maybe Christmas wouldn't be Christmas for you without a Christmas tree being up or with snow on the ground. Maybe Christmas Eve service really kind of caps off the Christmas season for you and Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without it. Maybe there's a handful of Christmas movies you like to or have to watch at the Christmas season, maybe like The Christmas Carol. I don't know which you prefer better. There's a number of versions of it. The 1951 Alistair Sims version. Maybe it's the 1984 George C. Scott version. Or maybe it's the 1992 Muppets version. Or the 2009 Jim Carrey version. My favorite version is the 2008 Patrick Stewart version. Like any Trekkie, anything Patrick Stewart plays in is stellar. Captain Picard, to any of you who are unenlightened to, the, to real science fiction. Anyway, the story opens with a, on a bleak, cold, biting Christmas Eve in 1843. Exactly seven years after the death of Ebenezer Scrooge's business partner, Jacob Marley, Scrooge has a visit. Scrooge is described as a squeezy, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner who has no place in his heart for kindness, compassion, charity, or benevolence. He hates Christmas. He calls it humbug, as you heard. And it's a word that means nonsense or rubbish. And it's on that night that Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his dead partner, who warns him to change his ways or else. In the end, it will be misery if he doesn't. The story is genius, And it forces the audience to face their own past selves. So let's look at the first one. Let's look at Christmas past. In his first ghostly encounter, Scrooge is confronted by the ghost of Christmas past. And he asks, who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past, the spirit says grimly. Long past, Scrooge inquires. No, your past, the ghost declares. After that, Scrooge is made to take a whirlwind tour of his past of the man he was. And he becomes deeply upset by the man he knew himself to be. It forces him to admit his own shameful, selfish past. And he begs the ghost to not remind him of it anymore. I'm sure most of us have had a Christmas past that we'd like to forget. 
I imagine that there are many people who, like Scrooge, find celebrating Christmas this year very difficult because of a past Christmas. Maybe it's because of a broken or failed relationship in their past. Maybe, like Scrooge, it was the loss of a loved one at Christmas. Whatever it is, it brings back bad memories and feelings to this Christmas season. The ghost of Christmas past reminds us, as he visits us every Christmas, things that we'd rather forget. The ghost of Christmas past visits me every Christmas and forces me to remember the Christmas that my dad went into the hospital and didn't come out. That kind of Christmas past haunts you, doesn't it? Yeah, I was only 15, but every year I'm reminded about how selfish I was, how self-absorbed I was, how I didn't give my dad enough attention at the end. But I was afraid. I was afraid and I didn't admit it, and I didn't want to admit that this was really happening. Maybe you've had a similar story. It is a past Christmas that brings up bad memories for this one. It's a pretty normal experience, actually. In contrast, though, we find as we travel back further than this fictional story into a distant past. If we were to travel back and to revisit that very first real Christmas, we'd find a different situation. 2,000 years ago, if we were to gaze upon that first nativity, upon the Christ child born in Bethlehem, lying in a manger, we would find another spirit that promises to dispel all fears, all disappointments, all past Christmases. In fact, it is the first gospel account of the birth of Jesus in Matthew that focuses on a list of names. It's a genealogy of Jesus. And it concludes like this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Like I just did, most people will just kind of skip over those genealogies. The names that are at the beginning of our Christmas story in Matthew's gospel. That long list of names doesn't seem all that important to us as we kind of glance over it. But they are very important. In fact, they tell us that even Jesus had a family with a past. Now, that genealogy skips some generations as you read it. But these are the relatives of Jesus. And it might surprise you that within this genealogy of the Son of God, there are kings, there are murderers, there are adulterers a prostitute, idolaters, and more. And some of them stayed like that their whole lives, but some of them did change and repented. Jesus' genealogy tells us that though our past is important, with Christ it really doesn't have to determine who we are today. It also tells us that God is not limited by our past. He is capable, very capable, of directing the course of human history and the genealogy of Jesus' ancestral tree to ensure his arrival. And that means that he is sovereign to direct the course of your family and your family tree to bring about you. And you are not the product of random societal and biological happenstance. Like Jesus, you are no accident to God. And because God is sovereign over all the world, you do not need to fear what you cannot control. Listen to the angel's proclamation to those poor shepherds on that night in the field. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I love this. Not only did the Lord line up the gene pool of the Messiah to bring about Jesus, but he even ensured that the geographical place where Jesus, the Messiah, was prophesied to be born would still be around all those many generations later. This was the same prophesied Bethlehem, the town of David, that would still be around nearly a thousand years after the reign of King David, after he was born. This, I mean, just think about how many small towns in Saskatchewan are no more, and they've only been around for about 100 years. And Bethlehem could have easily been wiped off the map in, all those th- in that thousand years. Like so many other towns that went under the domination of other foreign powers. Since King David, Bethlehem got occupied multiple times. First by a coalition of Syria, Aram, and Damascus. Then by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, and finally by the Romans. And yet, the Lord coordinated all the stories of joy and pain in the lives of all of Jesus' past relatives, and he made it so that the events where they lived, politically, societally, and geographically, would all point to and lead to that town of David Bethlehem, the birthplace of the Messiah. You see now why you don't need to fear any of the ghosts of Christmas past? You do not need to be a product of them. In fact, you should not. But remember, in the Christmas carol, Scrooge also gets a visit from the ghost of Christmas present. So let's look at the the Christmas present now. Scrooge is a product of his Christmases gone by. But the ghost of Christmas present comes to him and gives him the opportunity to see what his life is like right now, in the here and now. He's shown the home of his employee, Bob Cratchit, where despite their poverty, it's a home filled with joy and compassion and love for one another. A home where, as they sit down to eat their feeble Christmas dinner, Bob Cratchit still takes a moment of time to share a toast to his greedy, selfish, miserable boss, the one who keeps him in abject poverty. After that, Scrooge is then shown the home of his nephew, Fred. Year after year, this nephew has invited Scrooge to come and share the joy of Christmas dinner with him and his family. And every year, year after year, Scrooge rejects the invitation. Of course, Scrooge tries to justify his actions by telling the spirit that, well, he just couldn't make it because his success kept him so busy. But in the things that counted, the things that really mattered, Scrooge was really poor. But what is it really that matters? How, I mean, have you thought about those kinds of things? What really makes you rich today? Or what keeps you poor? On one occasion, Jesus once challenged the crowds and his own disciples saying this in Mark's gospel, chapter 8, Verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul? And then he answers his own question in the couple verses earlier, verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What really matters, according to Jesus, isn't the acquisition of earthly possessions and positions. And it isn't just being a better person, which most of the fictional Christmas 
feel-good stories lead us to believe. What's ultimately important in this life is believing loyalty in Jesus. And why does that matter? Why does he deserve it? Well, because he is the Lord of Christmas past, present, and even future. The ghost of Christmas present shows Scrooge that even though he is utterly hard-hearted and bitter and materialistic, he is not yet beyond redemption. Not yet. And despite all that he had become, the Spirit shows him that others still loved this man and that they had not given up on him. A Christmas carol is a good piece of fiction, but the real Christmas promises that no matter how bad we are, no matter how selfish we are, no matter how greedy we are, no matter how rebellious we are, no matter how much we reject God, He still loves us. We still matter to Him. And He has not given up on us. This is the promise of the angel to those poor shepherds in that first Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 12. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. See, it's not enough to keep Jesus at a distance by only claiming him as that feel-good token of Christmas present. He is Christ the Lord. What does lordship mean to you? Well, think of it this way. Lords are to be listened to and obeyed. So when you think of it, The real Christmas story, the real story of Christmas is very opposite Scrooge's story of Christmas. The story of the real Christmas is about Jesus, the Christ, as our kids' own actors told us very clearly. He is Lord. He is the one who left the riches and the glories of heaven, who came to us, was born in a stable, placed in an animal's feeding trough, and wrapped in measly strips of cloth. The one who deserved to be served and obeyed as Lord, the one who holds all of creation together. He came into our poverty to serve us. And because of Jesus, only by Jesus, can Christmas present be redeemed. Then comes the final spirit, the ghost of Christmas future. This ghost is different than the other two familiar spirits. This spirit has no face. He does not speak. He merely points his bony finger. Scrooge looks to where the spirit is leading him and he sees the Cratchit family once again still struggling in their poverty and now without their son, Tiny Tim, who died because they could not afford proper medical care for him. Then the spirit takes Scrooge and he visits the house of a man who died in his sleep. A maid and a cleaner are there. They're the only ones there. And they're dividing up his belongings before the undertaker arrives. Two associates are outside in the street discussing why it's even necessary to hold a funeral. Nobody's even going to come. And afraid he already knows the answer, Scrooge demands the spirit tell him, but who is this man? At that, the spirit leads him to a graveyard. And with his bony finger, he points to a headstone. And it bears the name Ebenezer Scrooge. He got his answer. It's a chilling reminder to you and to me, to all of us, that we only have one life to live. And the journey of life is indeed brief. 
I've felt it. Once you pass the age of 55, you realize that you've only got about 10 to 15 years before retirement. And then you realize that your parents, as they're starting to get ill and even dying, you realize that time is very short now. Job chapter 14, verses 1 to 2 says this. Mortals, born of woman, you are few of days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away, like fleeting shadows they do not endure. And for Scrooge, facing his own lowly, lonely, pitiful mortality is the life-changing moment for him. And he understands that it's now or never to make a change. He was known as a penny-pinching, mean, hateful, self-centered old miser. No one wanted to have anything to do with him, not even at his funeral. Even in the end, his own family didn't care to be around him. And all that he had worked for was stolen. Even the curtains around his bed were taken by the maids. You know, Scrooge considered the ghost of Christmas future to be the most uh, frightening of all the spirits. Charles Dickens himself confessed this future spirit to be the one that would keep him up most nights. I suppose all of us are somewhat scared of this future ghost. For sure, we're all a little frightened of the unknown, of what happens when we, for the last moment, close our eyes. But you don't have to be fearful of the grave. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the good news of your future, if it is in Christ. In Jesus' own words, he tells us why he came, that he alone is able to redeem our past, and he is graciously able to reveal to us his plans for our future. John chapter 6, verse uh, 38 to 40, the scripture says, For I have come down, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At the heart of a Christmas carol lies the hope of Scrooge's redeemed transformation. In that one life-changing night, the old Scrooge dies and is born anew on Christmas Day. Not too sure if there's any Christian parallels in it, but the unfortunate part of the story for most people is that Scrooge, in a roundabout way, redeems himself by his own self-realization and he remedies his own old nature to become a better man. In a world that rejects Christ, that is the hope of Christmas. Self-realization and self-redemption. And of course, Hollywood capitalizes on that. It adds to that humanistic belief to the Scrooge in all of us. And for sure, there is a Scrooge in all of us, isn't there? That much of the story is, is right. All of humanity is innately selfish. Even on our best day, all of us primarily are concerned with ourselves. But unlike a Christmas carol, even a lifetime of modern Christmases will never rescue us from ourselves. Stories like A Christmas Carol or any other Christmas fable or tale is a, is a fun part of the season for sure. They make for great movies and books. 
But the nonfiction reality is that, in, that it is Christ, not a dream, not a spirited vision, not even Christmas itself that can save us from ourselves. Only Jesus can. And the very real Son of God who became us also invites us to come to him to be saved. No amount of self-will or self-improvement will do. Only Jesus can redeem us or save us from our sin and thereby change us from the inside out. Something that we are powerless to do on our own. But a Christmas carol doesn't tell us that in the story. Friends, what we need in our Christmases past, what we need in our Christmas present, and what we will always forever need in our Christmas future is believing loyalty to Jesus. So this Christmas, you may treat yourself to one of the many versions of a Christmas carol or maybe by book or movie, or you may settle down on the couch to watch or read any number of other Christmas stories. And I will be. I will be watching the Picard version of A Christmas Carol. But as you do, please be keenly aware that it is Jesus alone who makes Christmas what Christmas can be. The kids' own actors told us that. And perhaps you could utter a small prayer as you're enjoying whatever fiction you're watching. Lord Jesus... I look to you this, this Christmas, and I believe that it is you alone that gives me eternal life, and I trust you to raise me up at that last day. May that be your prayer the whole year through, in fact. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our kids' own actors, our kids' own workers, our whole kids' own department that seeks to minister to children, to convey to them this reality that it is only Jesus, not Christmas, not warm fires, not all the tinsel and baubles and bulbs. It is only Jesus who satisfies the need of every heart, that changes us into what we cannot achieve for ourselves, and brings us into a full relationship with the God of heaven. It is only Jesus that does that. So thank you, Lord, for this moment. Thanks again for our kids. Bless them this Christmas season and allow all of us to truly be merry and bright. In Christ's name, amen.